They're not as feeble as they were. Their goals are being accomplished. They're not where they need to be, but they're not where they used to be. You're tracking with me. And so we get to Nehemiah chapter 8. Would you stand with me as we read? We're going to do this practice as uh, they did it then. Now, now I'm going to warn you, all right? We're going to be reading for, for a little while, and there's going to be some names. Some, somebody said, I need my glasses. <laughs> all right. All right, Eric. All right, everybody can borrow Eric's. And um, it might be a little bit little, but we will get to parts that are hard to pronounce. All right, just do your best. Somebody say, do your best. All right, here we go. Let's start. Before the water gate, they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Milkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Woo! Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatiah, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people who had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. 
Amen. You guys can have a seat. Jesus, right now I just ask for your anointing on all of us to hear from you, to receive your word, to honor your word as it ought to be. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, anoint me afresh to deliver your word with clarity and understanding. Lord, keep my lips from error. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Today I want to talk to you about specifically about a few distinctives of Nehemiah's and Ezra's revival. All right, the first part of the book is all about rebuilding, getting their hands dirty, having their sword in one hand, right, and their shovels and plows and mortar in the other. All right? But the second part of the book is right exactly where we're at, where we're at the very beginning of that. We see um, that Nehemiah is actually finally getting to the primary purpose for which God had sent them to the city. If we're nearsighted, right, we think that Nehemiah's objective was about the wall. And, 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 And all we see is about rebuilding the city, the physical part of the city, right? But Nehemiah's real objective was to reestablish proper worship in the city of God, right? To to once again have the people of God honor God as God ought to be honored. They'd been exiled, right? And then Ezra had brought a contingency back. And along the time that they were away from Jerusalem, they had picked up some bad habits. Somebody say bad habits. All right. They had picked up foreign customs. Started to do things that the people of God don't do. They started to intermarry and, the, and, and so on and so forth. And, and things happened where... They were God's people by flesh, but spiritually they had gone astray. Amen? But Nehemiah does not lose sight of the primary thing. He does not lose sight of of, of the thing that God had called him to. Remember, about 11 times, Nehemiah's prayers are recorded in the 13 chapters. Nehemiah was a man who loved God. Nehemiah was a layman, you have to remember. He was not a priest. He was not a Levite. Remember that one week where they tried to trick him into going into the the temple to go shield himself from, from his enemies, Tobias, Sambalot. He was like, uh-uh, that's not for me. So we get to this point. The timing is right. They just finished building the wall. It's the new year. They're about to come up on uh, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, a time of partying. But hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up before we get to the partying. Let's make first things first. So they bring out the book of the law. 
He said, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. It's not rush. It's not rush. I can just hear a New Testament writer saying, because the gospel is not about eating or drinking, but about joy in the Holy Spirit. Hold up, hold up, hold up. We'll get to the party part. But let's keep first things first. Amen? Let me go back a couple of slides. Oh, oh, oh. All right. So I want to outline a few distinctives for you about um, Nehemiah's revival. When we talk about revival, we're talking about bringing something that was uh, once alive, once kicking um, back, to, back to life, right? How many of you guys have had a, a, a plant that's almost about to die, right? How many of you are good at killing plants? I'm somewhere in between. It depends if I feel like it or not. How many of you are like that? Miss, Miss Candy has all the plants. She's got like enough plants for all of Marsden. She gave me all sorts of plants. A couple years ago, I gave my neighbor across the street a plant that I had. I'd kept it, but then I got bored. You know, I'm the type that gets bored. Like, oh, man, I got to change the soil, put it into a bigger pot. I got to keep watering it. Sometimes I water it too much and it gets on the rug. I'm like, all right, let me just give it to Will. I gave it to Will. Will brought this plant back to life. He cut off all the bad parts. He changed the soil. His, his father-in-law runs a, a bait and tackle shop. And so he got the soil that the worms are in good, rich, and, 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 and all sorts of goodness. You know, you can tell I'm not a farmer because I don't have all of the uh, jargon. But he brought it back to life. So when we talk about revival, we're talking about bringing something that looks like it's on the brink of death, right? Or maybe even dead already, back to life. And that's what Nehemiah's original purpose was. Yes, he was called to rebuild the, 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 the walls of the city. But he was called to revive the people of God. That they may worship him how he ought to be worshipped. So I've got a couple of distinctives here uh, in Nehemiah for, for us. The first is that uh, unity... And hunger is something that marks these people. When I talk about distinctives, I'm talking about something that makes this revival perhaps different than other revivals in the scripture, right? There's some parallels here. As you're talking about uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, you, you, there's other parts of the Bible that come to mind. You think Acts chapter 2, right? When Pentecost comes, right? It's a big party. That other part where uh, uh, Joshua, they read the, 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 the law um, for morning to night, that's another part that comes up. But what makes this one uh, a special? What are the things that make this revival special? doesn't mean that that won't happen in other revivals. But what happens in this revival um, that makes this one special? The first thing is that there is a unity. There's a unity and a hunger for God. All the people came together as one in the square before the gate. 
And it was the people that told Ezra. And they together told Ezra, the people, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. There was a hunger there. There was unity there. Right? When we talk about unity, we don't talk about uniformity. Right? God is into unity, not necessarily uniformity. Okay? That's not today's sermon. But then you also see that the people prioritize the word of God. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, all who were able to understand. So on the first day, somebody say first day of the seventh month. Now, now that was New Year's Day. That was New Year's Day. They're kicking off their calendar year by saying, let's put the first things first. Let's prioritize the word of God and let's bring the word of God and let's hear from the word of God so that we can understand the word of God and align our lives accordingly. Amen. So the first distinctive, there's unity and there's hunger for God. The second distinctive, the people prioritize the word of God. Number three. Ezra the priest brought out the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women who were all able to understand. In most gatherings uh, in that time and in that culture, uh, uh, a lot of times the women didn't show up to these gatherings. It just wasn't cultural for the women to show up to these gatherings. So it's important that the writer of Nehemiah notes that the women were present. So that can't be overlooked, right? The women and the men are present. Something important is happening. A distinctive here is that the word of God was accessible. It wasn't something for me and my people. It wasn't something for me and my gender. Right? It was for male and female and anybody else that could understand, I would say children perhaps, who were old enough to get some of the concepts of the law. What's most likely happening here, uh, what scholars would agree, is that they're reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is like the explanation of the Ten Commandments. It's like the Ten Commandments on steroids. Right? And they break it down. But anybody, any of you tried to get through Deuteronomy on your own? Ever? Come on now, put your hand up if you ever. How many of you, like, get stuck? Like, what is happening here? Is this for me? Is this for the Jews? What happens? Where do I go from here? Which one of these do I do? Is God, does God hate me? And so they're sitting there breaking down more than likely the book of Deuteronomy to the people. Now, mind you, today you, we can't read that culture and, and read into this like as if it was 2015. In that day, there weren't that many people um, who read and wrote. Right. Your schooling was your apprenticeship. You did the work that your family did. Right. 
So if your dad was a scribe, you were probably a scribe. If your dad was a singer and he worked at the temple, then you're, that's the profession that you were going to do. If your dad was a carpenter, then that's what you were. If your dad was a farmer, that's what you But in an agricultural society, there are way more hand jobs to do with your hand than there are jobs uh, for writing and, 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 and breaking things down. Academia, you could say. So the word of God in this instance, in this revival, it's important to note that it was accessible to all who could understand. Are you tracking with me? So first there was a unity and a hunger for God. Then there, the people prioritized the word of God in verse 2. Also verse 2, the word of God was accessible. In verse 3, we see that the people were hungry and willing to sacrifice in order to learn the word of God. He read it out loud from daybreak till noon. And as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand, all the people, somebody say all the people, listened attentively to the book of the law. And we'll find somewhere else that, that they're standing I'm sure they got breaks, but more than likely they're standing for five or six hours. All the people. These people were invested in their spiritual growth. They, they were invested in their spiritual well-being. And you know, I've said this from the pulpit many times, from the music stand many times. No one should be more concerned about our spiritual growth than ourselves. Not your wife, not your husband, not your boyfriend, not your TV pastor. Ouch. Not me. You need to be invested in your own spiritual growth. And I'm not talking about guilting you into reading your Bible. Because no amount of guilt will get you in your Bible. Maybe one day, two days, a week. But there's a hunger there that needs to happen in order for you to be able to get back into the scriptures. I talked, I talked about this with our small group on Wednesday. When I left Nyack, um, it was hard to read scripture for about three or four years. And I was already here. I was preaching from time to time. I was ministering to the Lord and to you guys, but it felt like sand. You know, the Bible had become somewhat of a textbook. Uh, and it was hard to get through. And um, I'm not proud of that, right? That's not something that I'm proud of, you know, but, but it's a reality. And sometimes we go through those seasons you know, I would try to trick myself or, or kind of jumpstart my Bible reading activity. Maybe if I buy myself a new Bible. And then that got expensive. Maybe if I buy myself a new journal. Right? Gimmicks, you know. If I, I'm with new Bibles, new journals. I'm with all sorts of apps. And I don't know, at some point I started praying just a little bit more. And more hunger started to develop. And I'm not, I'm not sure that I, 
I'm, I'm where I need to be right now. Even as a person who exposits the scriptures to you. Right? But I'm not where I used to be. Right? So, it's just an encouragement. Sometimes we go through those seasons, right? Leaving, leaving out of Nyack. Uh, when I got to Nyack, I felt like the Lord gave me um, kind of just an encouraging, like, prophetic word, which is sometimes, like, a little bit discouraging, too. Was, he said, there's a story in the Bible in Genesis and, um, where uh, Abraham plants, um, plants a tree. It's called the tamarisk tree. And um, this tamarisk tree uh, is a, the type of tree that doesn't really, uh, that we don't really know it well here in America. In some parts of Colorado um, and in other places, um, uh, in, in, the, in the Southwest, they're there. In fact, they're actually guilty for drinking a lot of the water and they cause a lot of drought. That's the shadow side of this tree. But the amazing part of this tree is that it will dig roots deep until it finds water. And that was a word that I, I, I constantly remind myself in the scriptures, Genesis 21, 33, if you ever wondered, it says, And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And that's the significance of that painting. You've probably wondered, what is that? But it will find in the middle of the desert water to drink. Now, I don't know about you, and some of you, uh, you know, maybe your lives are happy-go-lucky all the time. But in ministry, that's not necessarily how it works. And outside of ministry, I know that too, that it gets hard. But maybe the Lord gave me that word to also share that word with you, that you too would not only be oaks of righteousness, right? And be, and be people that bear the fruit of the Spirit, but also be like tamarisk trees that will work hard, take root, go deep until you tap into the water of the Spirit. We're people of the struggle. And a couple of weeks ago, we said, there's no struggle, there's no progress. So go deep. No one should be more interested in your spiritual growth than yourself. And struggle. When it feels like sand, struggle. When you can't break open your Bible, struggle. When you can't understand it, struggle, pray, worship. Struggle, pray, worship. Join a discipleship group. Call someone that's been walking with the Lord a little bit longer. Put some money into your own development. 
Your spiritual growth does not make me rich. God does not need you to spiritually develop. We think we're important. But the kingdom can and will go on without us. But God chooses to say, hey, I got a job for you to do. Got a job for you to do. I need you to prepare, though. You ready yet? You know? And that's both spiritually, emotionally, physically, and all of the above. The people were hungry and willing to sacrifice in order to learn the word of God. Sometimes we think this stuff's going to come easy. You just come to church on Sunday morning and you're like, all right, well, the preacher didn't preach a good message. Oh, I didn't, I didn't grow this week. If that's the case, we got some spiritual midgets in this house. Because I tell you right now that my sermons don't always hit that mark. If you're waiting, if your growth depends on 10.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. on Sunday morning, then you're malnourished. Guess what? I've been there too. And it's not good. But struggle. Fight. Dig deep. Ask the Lord for hunger. Get big. Get swole. Right? Unity and hunger for God. First distinctive. Number two, the people prioritized the word of God. Number three, the word of God was accessible. Number four, the people were hungry and willing to sacrifice in order to learn the word of God. Number five, the people honored the word of God. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened them, all the people stood up. The people honored the word of God. It was not just some other kind of book. This is not a comic book. This is not Vanity Fair, right? This is not a novel. Not even C.S. Lewis could do this. Kierkegaard. This is God's word. The Father's love letter to you. His life manual for us. His voice. You want to know what his voice sounds like? It's right here. You want to know whether or not something is from God? Last week we talked about discernment. It's right here. People honored the word of God. I even felt convicted as I threw the Bible. Right? Sometimes we've just gotten away from that. I grew up in a church where every time we read the Bible, we stood up. It was just that way. I was, you know, that's the kind of church I grew up in. We don't do that here all the time. Maybe we'll do it a little bit more often, right? Let me, let me take this time just to teach something really quickly. When, whenever we look at the scriptures, right, we have to ask ourselves, is what's happening here, is the event that's that's, that's being recorded here in scripture, is it pre-script, 
prescriptive or is it descriptive? Let me break that down for you. Is it telling us to do it this way all the time? Is it, is it a commandment for us? Is it prescriptive or is it descriptive? Is it describing what's happening here? Right? So whenever you read the word of God, you ask yourself, all right, is this a prescription for the Lord? Like a doctor writes a prescription to CVS Rite Aid? Or is it a description of the Lord of what was happening in this event? And, you know, scholars debate that all the time, right? But you still should ask yourself that question. Is this something the Lord is asking me to do? Or is this something that um, the Lord is just telling me that happened? All right? Any questions there? Now, as you read the word, say prescriptive or descriptive. Can you say that with me? Prescriptive, descriptive. One more time. Prescriptive, descriptive. All right. So the people honored the word of God. All right. Verse 7. All right. I love that the people here are engaged. Let's go through verse 6 real quick. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. When we got to that part, I love how you guys sounded. Amen. Amen. Let it be so. That's what amen means. Let it be so. They were engaged fully. I love when we get into it. When, when worship gets going, when uh, uh, the sermon, uh, you guys pull the sermon out of me, right? When you guys start pulling the sermon I love that because there's engagement there, right? There's interest. I'm not talking about hooping and hollering just for the sake of hooping and hollering, but you want what's happening. You want what's, what's there, right? Give me that. I want to drink from that fountain. Number seven, all right, verse seven. And the Levites, with all of these names, right, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. Another distinctive, the leadership accomplished ministry together. The leadership accomplished ministry together. This was not a one-man show. Ezra was a scribe. Ezra was the teacher. Nehemiah was the governor. But everybody had a place. About a year ago, we went through our spiritual gifts uh, series and, and we talked about our spiritual gift inventory. We talked about the fivefold ministry, right? Are you a, a prophet? Are you a teacher? Are you an evangelist? Right? Are, are you a person uh, that, that breaks through walls and barriers and uh, starts things where uh, they're not yet? Do you have an apostolic gifting? Right? And that ought to always be going through your mind. How can I engage? Can I be honest with you guys? We're not where we need to be in this area yet. As with Sonoma. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. And we have something to shoot for. But it's hard for us. And I don't know why. But I think as we grow... It's going to be painful because you need to sacrifice. You need to use your own resources, right? 
to grow and to help grow the kingdom. There's always room to, to, to get a couple more leaders in the ministry. But leaders pay a leader's price. You think the enemy's coming after you right now? That doesn't sound like a selling point, does it? But I would rather you know on this side. I was like, but I didn't know what I was signing up for. Are you tracking with me? We need to do better when it's time for us to volunteer to do stuff here, man. We need to do it. Step up. You know what the Bible says about leadership? It says that the least of all is the leader. The servant of all is the leader. It's not the one who holds the microphone the most or the longest. It's the one who works tirelessly. Who does things no one even sees. Whose character is, is, is fought and wrought in the secret place. You tracking with me? We need, we need volunteers all the time. A church does not function without volunteers. And if this is your church, if this is your spiritual family, we all got something to bring to the table. All right? There's never a lack of opportunity for us to step up to the plate. Ask yourself, what am I doing? What am I volunteering for? Amen? We've got these, this VBS thing. We'd love to get uh, volunteers for that. Sign up for that today. This isn't a plug for that. This, I, I just want to tell you that. You know? We're not where we need to be. If you don't volunteer for the VBS, fine. But as a church, we're not where we need to be in that area. Amen? We can say ouch together. Ouch? All right. The leadership accomplished ministry together. All right. Verses 10 and 12. All right. We see that the leadership reminds the people to remember the poor. And they did. Let me just read. Um, then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So the, the word of God got a hold of their hearts. The presence of the Lord was so thick. They were hearing from their God, their Lord, their Master. And that they were brought to conviction by the Holy Spirit. The tears. And then Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. The leadership reminds, Nehemiah as their leader reminds the people to remember the poor. And the people do it. Remember the poor. Can you say that with me? Remember the poor. Always remember the poor. Remember the poor. It's in the heart of our God. I love this week. This week uh, we had uh, the team here. And one of my, my favorite parts of this week, I love the bathrooms. They're amazing. 
was, but one of the favorite parts was seeing our community come together and cook meals for, for this team. It's, <laughs> it's one of the team's favorite parts. And I know you guys ha- had time crunches, right? And I know you had, have limited resources. But it blessed my heart when you guys came together and did all of that. Amen? Amen. We had some good uh, African food and some soul food. And we had some uh, uh, Lebanese potato salad. And uh, it was amazing. And I'm grateful for that. You know? I'm grateful for that. Now, the team wasn't poor. But I'm saying that to say that I know that some, some among us struggle financially. But you were able to still somehow get it together, throw in a little bit extra. And the Lord uh, does not overlook those things. You know? And, uh, and I love it when you make me chicken, Regina. Thank you. But the leadership reminds the people to remember the poor. I think at Truvine, that's something that we're trying to weave into our fabric, the fabric of, of us as people with the school supply drive. I mean, how amazing is this, right? If the Lord gives vision, he gives provision, right? We, we set out to do 100 backpacks for the fall. All 100 backpacks have been committed, right? All we need to do now is just... Fill the backpacks, all right? But 65 of those backpacks are full. Only 35 of those backpacks are left. Progress. Amanda's downstairs with the kids, but she's helping us, and Barb and Jarabelle over at Tyson. There's a lot of sales going on. Remember the poor. Family Dollar, Dollar Tree, Staples. You got 25-cent composition books and glue sticks and all that good stuff. ShopRite. Yeah. So it's about that time of the year. When you're out shopping, remember the poor. Throw some of those items that we gave you that list. Throw them in the car. You know? So we're almost there. We're more than halfway there. All right? And I love this right here. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. They were so heart stricken. The word of God was on them. The, the Lord overcame them. And, and, and they had had to fall on their knees and on their face before a holy God because they were their, their sin, they, they couldn't duck it anymore. The day of atonement had just happened. One time a year where where the priest would enter the Holy of Holies and he would pardon the people's sin and he would remind them, your sins are forgiven. There's nothing for you to weep about. Get up off your face. Go have a good time and celebrate Amen? And lastly, this last distinctive that I see here in in, in this part of chapter 8 is that the people are fully engaged spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, emotionally, and physically. 
So much so that the Levites have to calm them down. It's like, stop, stop. Right? You're going nuts. Because once Nehemiah says, you're forgiven, right? He, the, the people he reminds them, it's okay. The blood has been spilled. But verse 11, the Levites had to calm all the people down. Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Let me just go over this real quick. Distinction of Nehemiah's and Ezra's revival. There was a unity and hunger for God. The people prioritized the word of God. The word of God was accessible. The people were hungry and willing to sacrifice in order to learn the word of God. The people honored the word of God. It mattered to them. The leadership accomplished ministry together. The leadership reminded the people to remember the poor, and the people did. And the people are fully engaged spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, and physically. You guys can, can start playing. Thank you. Warren Wearsby, the book that we're studying right now in our small group, um, says this. As Ezra explained the word, the assembly's first response was one of conviction and grief. They mourned over their sins, for the law is the knowledge of sin. The law can't save us. It can only convince us that we need to be saved and then point us to Jesus Christ, the Savior. The Jews had observed the annual day of atonement and the Lord had dealt with their sins. So they should have been rejoicing in his forgiveness. On the Jewish calendar, the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, follows the day of atonement, giving God's people an entire week of happy celebration. But peep this, the sequence is important. First conviction, and then cleansing, and then celebration. First conviction, and then cleansing, and then celebration. It is as wrong to mourn when God has forgiven us as it is to rejoice when sin has conquered us. I don't know where you're at. But I know that God loves me. I know that he sent his son for me. And I know that he offers me a welcome into his kingdom. I rephrase this a little bit in this part about conviction, cleansing, and celebration. As God's children, we are convicted by the Spirit, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and invited by the Father to celebrate at his banqueting table. We are convicted by his Spirit, cleansed by the blood of the Son, and invited by the Father to the banqueting table. And that's exactly what I want to do with you guys this morning. If you've made that step, and in your heart at one point you were convicted by the Spirit, it might even be now, of your sin, of your trespasses, of the things that alienate you from God, of the things that you know are wrong, all you got to do is say, yeah, I accept the sacrifice of that blood. That blood is for me. That blood is for me. 
to celebrate at the Father's table. Amen? I wish I had to say, turn down. I wish we got to that day where we said, turn down. I ask you guys to stand up. The worship team is going to lead us. Pastor Doug is going to help me with communion. At Truvine, if you've never had communion with us, we uh, do communion by what's called intinction. Take a piece of bread and you dip it into this juice. Now today we are uh, using juice grown here in Wissanoming. These grapes are Wissanoming grapes. Right on our, our compound, Bridgie and Chris uh, have been keeping this vine. And uh, ethically sourced, non-GMO. I don't know, I'm lying. <laughs> but just a reminder, if, if the Spirit has convicted you, the Son has cleansed you, the Father now invites you to celebrate at His banqueting table. Amen? So let's join the team, and as you're ready, come up. Make sure you don't put your fingers all the way in the cup. Just dip the end of the piece of bread, all right? And then we'll go from there.